Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where we continue our journey this week to connect a few more bits into the six degrees of Robert Evans. Thanks for joining me today as we do a quick investigation here of how Robert Evans makes it from fledgling actor to head of production at Paramount. It is this early 1960s time frame that is really going to set Robert up for success in his coming decades. We have a lot of fun appearances in this episode with some returning favorites in our cast of characters. We have some new characters in our investigation as well. As always with the Robert Evans series, this story does include some saucy language. Please be forewarned. How do we get the kid? to being the head of Paramount, let's investigate. After returning from Hollywood, Robert Evans and his brother did sell Levon Picone to Charles Revson, the founder of the Revlon Corporation. This gives Robert Evans what he calls fuck you money, and Robert Evans was going to make the most of it. He will move into a swanky townhouse on East 76th Street. Robert Evans at this time also becomes great pals with Porfirio Ruby Rosa. In this time, the early 1960s, Ruby Rosa has divorced from two heiresses that are coming into our investigation, Doris Duke and Barbara Hutton. Ruby Rosa, he is the dude who shows up everywhere and also a real-life inspiration for James Bond. Porfirio Ruby Rosa was running buddies with everyone, including author Ian Fleming. He's a real charmer, Ruby Rosa. Robert Evans will describe his friend as, quote, the best company in the world, wonderfully self-depreciating, intensely focused on whomever he was with. A man's man, that's for sure. A woman's man? Hmm, there was never anyone like him. That is more than likely true. In the winter of 1962, Robert Evans and Porfirio Ruby Rosa attend the International Red Cross Ball in Palm Beach. It was full of stars, from Cary Grant to Yul Brenner, but Robert Evans said when Ruby Rosa walked in, they all faded into the background. He was the star. Evans writes, Excitedly, every woman's eyes turned to him, then to his crotch. That was his legend. In the 40s and 50s, the popular quote was in like Flynn, referring to Errol Flynn. In the 50s and 60s, it was, how's your Ruby Rosa, referring to my pal. Strange, I should know both guys. It really all does connect. Why would they be asking, how is your Ruby Rosa? This is Ruby Rosa, also the name given to pepper mills in France in homage of Porfirio Ruby Rosa with a particular prowess in a particular department. Of course, Robert Evans is going to be friends with Ruby Rosa. A few months later, after this particular Palm Beach adventure, 
Ruby, as he was known by his friends, calls Evans back in New York City to see if Evans would join Ruby Rosa and his wife for dinner. They would be bringing an extraordinarily good-looking girl from Brazil. The four of them went to La Cote Basque, and Robert's date didn't speak a word of English. But Robert Evans's ego still told him that his date was crazy for him. Before the end of their dinner, Gianni Agnelli joined them for dessert. He suggested they all go to the club afterward. Robert and his date danced all night, and he was increasingly thinking how much he liked her. While taking a little break at the table, Ruby Rosa's wife, Odile, leaned forward across from her husband, the quote-unquote century's greatest lover, put her hand on top of Robert Evans's hand and shocked him, which you can imagine would be a little difficult to do, and Odile says to Robert Evans, forget her, Bob, she's mine. Goodness, I want you to keep your eye on Porfirio Ruby Rosa. He's going to be coming back around into our scene soon enough. Robert Evans, how is he going to break into producing anyway? After getting his two big acting breaks in Man of a Thousand Faces and The Sun Also Rises, Robert Evans thought his Hollywood acting career was over. He knew he was never going to be the next Paul Newman, and Robert Evans really didn't want to spend his life auditioning for bit parts. He knew what he really wanted to be was the next Daryl Zanuck. And with his fuck you money, Robert Evans can do it. How to break in. Evans first takes a crack at it by producing on Broadway. He was given the option to produce a new play called The Umbrella by Pulitzer Prize winner Ketty Frings. Geraldine Page had already signed on to star in the play, and Robert Evans figured he couldn't go wrong. But he read the play, and he didn't understand it. So he read the play again, and Robert Evans still didn't understand it. But he agreed anyway, because he thought it must be good, as it was written by a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and had respected stage performers who wanted to star in the play. So Robert Evans raised the money, including a lot of his own money, to make the production happen. It bombed. Apparently, no one else understood it either. The umbrella opened and closed on the same night. Robert Evans writes, You know what I learned from it? If I read something and then read something again and still don't understand it, I don't care who says it's great. Let someone else make a success of it. It ain't for me. From his New York City townhouse, Evans operates a non-existent Robert Evans production company. He hires a reviewer from Publishers Weekly named George Wisner to moonlight for him as a literary scout. He had access to every book before it went anywhere. After only a few weeks on Robert Evans's payroll, Weiser gave Evans a sneak look at the manuscript of a new novel from an unknown author named Jacqueline Suzanne. The novel was titled Valley of the Dolls. 
Weiser says, it's hot pulp, Bob. Let's make a quick deal on it. Lock her up on her next three books. Robert Evans decided to take this to Fox to propose that he produce the new novel. Five years earlier, Robert Evans had become friends with a producer at Fox named David Brown. Brown was based in New York City and was married to the editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, Helen Gurley Brown. Thinking David would be the right person to take his novel to, Robert Evans made an appointment to see him. Evans brought an advance copy of Valley of the Dolls and laid it on Brown's desk and said, David, I think I have Fox's next big picture. I can get a lock on the author, too. David Brown says, thanks, Bob. I'll get back to you in a week. It turns out David Brown agreed. But instead of letting Robert Evans be the producer like they discussed, he bought the novel and assigned it to someone else without involving or even letting Robert Evans know. Robert Evans learns his lesson. He could have bought the rights to the novel for $5,000 and this would not have happened. But Robert was naive and trusted the wrong person. He will never make this same mistake again. What happens next? Our investigation continues right after we take a quick break. It is less than a month later that George Weiser brings Robert Evans another first novel. He holds up the manuscript and says, It's going to be big, Bob. I can smell it. The guy knows what he's talking about. It's called The Detective. So this time, Robert Evans buys the rights to this novel for $5,000, and then he took it to David Brown at Fox. Robert Evans drops the manuscript on David Brown's desk and says, I didn't do too badly with Valley of the Dolls, did I, David? Insiders say this is the sleeper of the year. David said, mm, I'll get back to you in a week. Evans said, thanks, David. Oh, by the way, I own this one. Evans writes, within a week, I was offered a cockamamie deal where I'd get billed as the associate producer. It was understandable. I'd never produced a movie before, but fuck them. I owned it. They didn't. I turned down their offer flatter than any performance I had ever given. For the first time, the guy holding the aces was me. David Brown came back to negotiate with Robert Evans some more. Robert told them that he wanted a suite of offices, a three-picture development deal, and two back-page ads in the trade papers with a picture of me signing my deal with the new head of the studio, Dickie Zanuck. Robert Evans definitely had his foot in the door, but he still hadn't produced any films yet. No matter. A journalist was about to change the course of his life. Peter Bart is his name, and Peter Bart was the West Coast correspondent for the New York Times. He and Bob hit it off, even though they were complete opposites. Peter told Robert Evans that he wanted to write a feature about him for the arts and leisure section in the Sunday Times. Robert Evans could not believe that Peter wanted to write about him. When he asked Peter if he was making a joke, Peter Bart responded, No, Bob, you're the first person I've met out here who makes things happen. You are the only one I've spent time with since I've been in Tinseltown that isn't Tinsel. 
you know who the real star is, the material. What's interesting about you, Evans, and why you're worth writing about, is that you're beating the so-called big guys at their own game. You could become the guy you played. And that is what Peter Bart wrote about Robert Evans. In the New York Times, Peter Bart called him the next Irving Thalberg. And then everything changed for Robert Evans when Charlie Bluedorn read that article. Charlie Bluedorn, the owner of Gulf and Western, which owned Paramount, called to meet with Robert Evans after reading about him in the New York Times. Robert Evans writes, Within five minutes of meeting Charlie Bluedorn, I knew this was no kibitzer. Before I finished trying to answer one question, he was asking me another. Strangely, I didn't have to answer any of them. Before I could open my mouth, he answered the questions himself. Also at that meeting was Bluedorn's right-hand man, Marty Davis. Evans writes, Davis never once turned his deadly Doberman eyes away from me. Forget Bobby Evans, the two of them together could have intimidated Bobby Kennedy. Eventually, Robert Evans got his marching orders from Marty Davis, who says, we're making you head of European production. You're going to London. That's where the action is. Writers, directors, actors. It's fresh, not stale like Hollywood. Then Charlie Bluedorn burst in and said, I want 20 pictures a year from you. The Paramount caca in charge there now is 90 years old. He saw Alfie and couldn't even hear it. Robert Evans tries to jump into the conversation by saying, Gentlemen, I've got a deal at 20th and get out of it. You'll be running Paramount in three months, is the reply. Still stunned, Robert Evans says, My Fox contract, it may not be that easy. Marty looks at Evans and says, If you're going to run Paramount, you better be tougher than you are now. While in charge of European production in London, Robert Evans impressed Charlie Bluedorn many times, but one specific situation showed Bluedorn how perceptive and gutsy Robert Evans was. One of the old and stodgy executives there had a pet project. It was a film called Half a Sixpence. It had been a successful musical on stage, but Evans didn't think it should be made into a movie, and he voiced his opinion. But Marty Davis loved the project, and Charlie Bluedorn also believed in it. Robert Evans knew he may lose the battle, but he was not going to go down without a fight. After a long phone conversation with Marty Davis and Charlie Bluedorn, Robert Evans said, I'm going on record, Charlie. This picture is going to be a disaster. Charlie said, told you, Marty, the kids got balls. Another film that was being made against Evans's recommendation was Is Paris Burning? They all went to Paris for the premiere, which was a big deal for Bluedorn because it was his first premiere since becoming a quote-unquote film mogul. Robert Evans's date was one of the stars of the movie, Leslie Karen. It didn't go well, Evans writes. My night with Leslie was about as romantic as the picture. For a girl who said she didn't care, she couldn't stop talking about her baby boy ex-lover, my old pal, Warren Beatty. The next morning, Robert Evans, Charlie Bluedorn, and Marty Davis were having a meeting. 
Blue Dorn asked, Marty, how much did last night cost us? When he heard the number, he said, Marty, you're right. Let's close the whole place down. But they didn't close Paramount. They did clean house, though, and fired just about everyone. Robert Evans was awakened at 3 a.m. in his London apartment. When he answered, it was Marty Davis on the other end, be in New York Monday morning, 10 a.m. When he arrived, Marty Davis said, you're leaving tomorrow to run the studio. Robert Evans said, run the studio? I've got all my clothes, my stuff in London. Marty Davis replies, they'll be sent. Then Charlie Bluedorn burst in and said, go by the seat of your pants, Evans. Make pictures people want to see, not fancy schmancy stuff people don't understand. I want to see tears, laughs, pretty girls, beautiful girls, pictures people in Kansas City want to see. When news of Robert Evans's promotion to head of production at Paramount Pictures got out, he became the biggest topic of gossip and jokes in Hollywood. The New York Times called Robert Evans Blue Dorn's Folly. Hollywood Close-Up titled their article Blue Dorn's Blowjob, and they weren't the only ones. Many years later, Army Archard was asked, in 40 years of writing for Daily Variety, which of your columns caused the most outrage? Without a moment's hesitation, he answered, the day I printed Bob Evans would become the head of production at Paramount. This actor from 20th Century Fox with no experience. And that, investigators, is how Robert Evans lands himself back in Hollywood as the head of production at Paramount. What a story. And now, really, we're only beginning with Robert Evans. When we come back next week, we're going to take him into the mid-60s through another marriage and divorce, through the purchase of his infamous home, as well as the creation of so many infamous movies, too. That Robert Evans really does get around. Thank you, one and all, for spending your time with me today. I am sending you all of my best wishes for the happiest of holiday seasons Until we meet again next week, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.